Hello and welcome to another episode of the MOP Voice. Today we are very blessed to have special guests with us, Pastor Omar Cortez. I'm your guest, Sister Dacia Dillon. And before we get started, I just want to go ahead and give a little introduction of our special guest. Pastor Omar Cortez is currently a pastor in Escondido, California. He Previously to pastoring in Escondido, was a pastor in Houston for a few years and then took over his father's church about two years ago and now is part of the San Diego district. He is married with four beautiful children and we are just blessed to have him today. Pastor Omar, why don't you take a few seconds to greet the listeners? Amen. Thank you for having me, Sister Dacia. My name is Pastor Omar Cortez and yes, we are residing here in Escondido, California, and the church I pastor is my father's house here in Southern California District. We've been here for about two years. Uh, interestingly enough, I moved down here to this church uh, and to this district back in 1994, many, many years ago. In uh, 2014, the Lord called us to Houston, where we pastored a beautiful church uh, for about six years. Um, while I was in San Diego, my father-in-law uh, I was his co-pastor, so he, the Lord had impressed in him to retire, and um, now we're here two years later. Amen. I hear that the most beautiful beaches in California are in San Diego. Would you say that's true? <laughs> I think they're very nice. They're very, very nice. Yes. All right. So once again, we're just excited to have you here with us, Pastor Omar. So today we're going to be talking about a topic that I feel isn't discussed as much, but it is very pertinent and important, especially when it comes to just the youth of today and anyone growing in the spiritual walk. So we're going to be discussing spiritual disciplines today, and we're going to go ahead and dive into the questions. And so we'll start off with asking Pastor Omar, what would you say are spiritual disciplines? and why are they important for the church? Okay. Um, well, it's a two-part question. It's a, it's a what and a why. So I think spiritual disciplines are, I, I'm, I'm looking at it through the lens of first um, disciplines because I think that's, that's something that uh, if we can understand disciplines and obviously the spirituality of it, you know, we can um, focus on it and apply it. So, because they're disciplines, there's things that, that you do, um, that you try to do consistently. Disciplines are very difficult. Obviously, if not, it wouldn't be a discipline. But uh, the what of the discipline would probably be, I would say, uh, maybe um, studying, memorization, meditation, prayer, fasting. This is what I would call private disciplines or inward disciplines, consecration, studying of the Word of God, devotion, commitment. These are all private and they're inward. Then you would have maybe the public uh, or the outward, which is, you know, living humble, being uh, a living simplistically, um, being submissive, uh, services, whether to others, uh, community, so on and so forth. And then my last category, I think I would categorize as corporate, where we worship together, where we celebrate together, uh, we praise, whether we do uh, communion or community uh, together, um, and evangelism, so on and so forth. So those are probably the three areas. So so that's the what. That's the what. Um, and I think it's important, and I'll use a little scripture because I'm a pastor, but Romans 12, 1 uh, it'll say, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is the reasonable service. 
if you are raised in church. We've heard that scriptures many, many, many times. Um, and I think it's just taking a pause and looking at it and really kind of finding out why Paul was writing to the church in Rome. So remember, the, the epistles are, most of them are sent to church folks, which is different than, you know, non-believers. So he's looking at it through the eyes of a scholar and he says sacrifices to God back in the Old Testament were lambs and turtle doves and all, you know, rams and a bull. Uh, so there are different types of sacrifice. But in the New Testament, God is saying, uh, and then, you know, even in the Old Testament, um, the, the prophets would say, would you give this to your governor? We're giving God, you know, blinded animals and so on and so forth. Jesus comes into the scene and he overturns the tables and he says, you know, this is not acceptable. So Paul is writing, keeping all of that I just said in mind. And he says, the sacrifice that God wants is us. So now through those lenses, we can see that Paul is um, pleading with the brothers in the church that if we're going to present ourselves to God, that it should be a living sacrifice. And then these are the parameters, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's the least you can do. It is to present yourself. And then I added this next verse because this is probably more familiar. It's in be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. That's the very next verse, which um, leads us to understand that when we're making the decisions to present ourselves to God, we should not be patterned after the systems of this world. So that's kind of a long answer to the what. And if you just bear with me, I can give you kind of the why. I think we the, this is important, uh, why the disciplines are important. And it's very simply uh, put, um, uh, if I could reduce it, I would say practice makes perfect. Uh, what we practice, we get better at. And um, it seems very simplistic, but I mean, we do this all the time. If you're in the sports, basketball, soccer, running, or playing instrument, um, what you practice, you become better at it. So I'm guiding you to that so that we can see that what I'm saying has a uh, you know validity to it because what we do repetitively makes us better at doing it. But then Paul sneaks in a scripture, or doesn't sneak in a scripture, rather Paul writes to Galatians 5.21, and I'm using the New American Standard Version Bible, and it says, uh, so this is going to sound, this is the bad stuff. This is the envy, drunkenness, corrosion, and things like this, which I forewarn you, just if I has forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So why do we uh, need spiritual disciplines? Why are they important? Excuse me. It's we practice things that we want to get better at. And so I gave you kind of the long versions, but I really wanted to back it up with at least some type of familiar scriptures that we could apply, you know, on a daily basis. Amen. What a great breakdown of that. I've actually never heard it categorized into those three. I've only heard like the spiritual disciplines, a lot of times like prayer and reading the word, fasting, all those, but categorized even into the character of your lifestyle. 
That matters. Lifestyle matters. And so thank you for tackling that. What a great way uh, to respond to spiritual disciplines and why they are important. So we want to move on to the second question, which is, are there spiritual disciplines that are more important than others? Like I mentioned, I feel like a lot of times there are certain spiritual disciplines that are more highlighted than others, but that doesn't mean a lot of times they exclude the other spiritual disciplines that we're also called to live by. Well, um, let me look at it through a general lens. Through a general lens, I think they're all important. They all have a benefit. Um, I think what we practice, what we do is kind of like maybe uh, uh, bodybuilding, if I could use that example, for example. But, you know, whatever you train, whatever you, whatever muscles you exercise are the ones that are going to be stronger. If you work out, you know, and, and if you work out your upper body, then you're going to have a, a, a big upper body, but you're going to have very slim and thin legs because you don't work those out. And I think what we work out, uh, again, gets stronger, gets better, but things that we don't work out, uh, those um, will eventually leave uh, that area weak. And I think that should be cause for concern. So yeah, we highlight a lot of the stuff, especially things that... Um, are preached to us that that um that we hear very often, but at the same time there are others that are probably just as important that may not be highlighted. But I think all of them are important. I don't know if there's one that's more important than the other because I think they all serve different purposes that we all need. Right. I would definitely uh, back that up and look at it kind of like when Christ calls us as the body. You know, it, there's not one part that's more important than the other. We all serve together for the functioning of Christ. And so it's actually really interesting. Today in my counseling course, we were reading an article on gratitude. And apparently gratitude is connected to just feeling good. And then the brain actually appreciates when gratitude is something that we do for others. And the more that we practice gratitude, the more easier it is going to be to just be a person that gives. And everything's so spiritual. When you look at it from those spiritual lens, the more that you do something, the more easier it's going to become, and it's just going to become a lifestyle. And that's the goal at the end of it all, for this all to become a lifestyle. And so uh, did you want to add something, Pastor Omar? Yes, if I could. So that's, uh, you know, I I believe that, and I've I've done a little bit of research on it. I can't say I know everything on it, but gratitude is so awesome, especially I'm, I'm I pastor, obviously, but I try to share with the church um, when we do generosity, when we do offerings, when we do community service. So you've probably have already heard this, but I, I think the ways that we can be very generous is through our time, through our talents and through our treasures, which is very familiar. And, you know, breaking it down quickly, a lot of times people, when we talk about uh, offerings and generosity, we immediately go to money. And I I stopped thinking about that because I think it goes beyond money. I think that's mm. something that we can immediately attribute it to, but it goes it's much bigger because right. generosity is an attitude. And if yes. you have a, a a spirit or the attitude of being generous, it has nothing to do with money. I don't believe it has anything to do with money. I think it has to do with uh, your spirit of, of giving because it it has to do with not only money, but that's something, but it 
your time, your talents, your gift, your abilities, your strength, your you, the what you contribute, whether you're generous in your ideas and in your service to other people. So I think when we talk about that, and then I had heard a, a comment uh, a couple of years ago that says the um, that somebody said money doesn't make you happy. And he said that to another person who was very wealthy, and the other person response was very interesting. He said, it does. And so they both kind of looked at each other. He says, money makes you happy when you learn how to give it away. Wow, that's powerful. <laughs> I thought so, yes, yes. Wow. Yeah, and then I think, you know, even if you've just, God has ever put you in a position to bless someone, just the way that it makes you feel, knowing that you are being a blessing to someone because ultimately God blesses us so we can bless others. That's what it is. You know, even when you think about the kingdom of God and just everything that it revolves around, it's about God and giving unto people ministry in every single area. It's about uh, giving, denying of ourselves in a sense. You know, Jesus said, pick up your cross, deny me and giving to others, giving to the kingdom of God. And so that's really interesting how generosity is such, such an aspect aspect of that, such an overflow of that. And I know we're kind of going through a little rabbit trail, but um, uh, in 2017, we went through, uh, our, our home got flooded and, and and the Lord showed something to my wife. I'll never forget this. So we had lost our home. We had lost all of our valuables and, you know, the church had to move forward. So we were living with my brother and we were just trying to pick up the pieces after Hurricane Harvey hit our home. And uh, we were doing our pledge drive. And, um, you know, we're trying to save to, to buy things back, everything from sofas to clothes, to everything. And the Lord challenged us to, to give, you know, it was our, our pledge drive and generosity and we gave. And the night before my wife said that she had, uh, seen a vision or something and she saw a closed hand and, and she, she felt the Lord to tell her or inspire her to believe. She says, how can I bless? How can I fill your hand if your hand is always closed? Wow. And to me, that that spoke volumes because we want God to bless us, but yet we have our hands closed to giving of everything that we mentioned before, time, talent, treasures, gift, ideas, praise, worship. We keep it closed. And God says, I can't fill your hands because they're closed. So I thought that was very, very inspiring. And, and I thought it was powerful. Wow. No, that is such a powerful testimony. That just moved me right now. What a blessing to hear. Amen. And so I want to go ahead and jump to our next question, Pastor Omar, which is, how can we engage younger generations, uh, Gen Z, a lot of times um, in keeping spiritual disciplines? How can we connect this younger generation? I think that's a hard question, um, and or maybe it's just hard for me. Uh, maybe I'm just getting older, uh, mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm. I'll I'll try to, in its simplest form, to address it the following. I I think, in general, it just needs to be taught. I think what mm. we don't teach, we can't expect anyone to do. So uh, I'm I'm teaching our church that uh, you know to have a relationship with your children. I'm talking about parents and you know uh, teenagers or or preteens, and that's a very difficult age. It's always been a difficult age, but I've I've kind of caught a pattern, and the pattern is the following: that they get to an age, and I you know my children kind of were going that way where 
they just kind of want to isolate themselves. They want to come home and lock themselves in the rooms or headphones all day or on, on a tablet or something like that. And I realized that the further they're disconnected, the harder it is to implement any type of rules. So I told the church the following. I said, um, rules without relationship uh, create rebellion. In other words, you don't have a right to ask me to do anything if there is no relationship. And I think that is um, something very dangerous that as parents, we some of us, or we don't catch it because, you know, at, at that age, they're still learning a lot of stuff about themselves and they're going through a period of time where it's, it's difficult. Their body is changing. Friends are changing. Things are important. Things that later on in life, they're not going to think it's that important. But right now, it is important. And uh, isolation seems good on both sides. I don't have to deal with my parents and my parents don't have to deal with me. But the problem with that is that, again, the further we distance each other from relationship, then there can't be any type of rules or uh, demands. And, and you know, that's even the same in church. I'm a pastor. So people that stop through the pandemic, it's very difficult because they stop engaging, they stop coming, they start disconnecting. And so it's hard to ask them to come back. It's difficult. Some don't want to come back. You can't make come back. But if you had that relationship, then it would be a lot easier. That's why staying connected during the time that we were disconnected uh, or not uh, coming to worship together, I think that was very crucial. And, you know, I pray for a lot of pastors. If you made it, for any pastor that may be listening, if you made it through the pandemic, my hat's off to every single pastor. There's not a manual out there that showed us how to weather the storm. I mean, so if you made it through, you know, you know, my respects to you, but now it's just kind of picking up the pieces. But again, it goes back to building up those relationships. I think I heard uh, uh, T.D. Jake said the following. He says, um, I'm interested in building up people while other pastors are interested in building churches. He goes, the mm-hmm. problem with building the churches is that you lose the people. But if you build the people, the people will build the church. I wow. thought that was very powerful. Amen. You bring up such a powerful point, Pastor Omar, because at the end of it all, it is centered around relationship. You know, even Christ calls us in that relationship aspect with him. And I believe everything is a direct fountain of that relationship. Our relationship with Christ, I've always mentioned this, and I probably have said this in numerous of other episodes as well, that our relationship with Christ is a direct reflection of our relationship with people. Mm. And if that is being watered and that is being fed, then those spiritual disciplines are going to flow in. And even when I think about, you know, just kind of being honest here, if we can be honest in this space here, you know, there's not always going to be a time, you know, that we're going to want to pray every single time. The flesh is is strong, you know, but but our spirit is willing. And uh, this is where we have to come back to that relationship. You know, I'm doing this because I love Christ and I'm doing this because of my commitment to Christ. It comes back to the relationship. And I be I believe overall, you know, that's that's what keeps us afloat. It's the relationship and even it flows into the people as well. Right. So, I mean, I the the for the question that you asked, I think it needs to be taught, but it also needs to be modeled. Yes. Um, I, I think what, you know, and again, this is just one person's opinion, but I think it's, it's, um, we're, we're in a society where to no fault, 
to the generations that are here, but I think everything is, is so accessible, so quick. So, you know, a next day delivery order today, and it'll be there in six hours, microwave quickly. You can literally be anywhere in the world within a day, which in times past was very difficult. So technology, um, we, we have, you know, I think somebody said we have more um, computer uh, and technological advancements in our cell phone than they did on the first spaceship, which is mind-blowing. But I think that also leads people to want things quickly. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very difficult. You know, I see that in my children. They they. It, they can't fathom that some things just take time. Time. And, and you know, like I said, it, it's not a, a referendum on our generation because everything else around them is very quick, very fluid, very accessible. But there's just some things that, that don't. And I think to try to uh, upkeep spiritual disciplines, it's very difficult because, again, we go back to, to the root of it. It's, it's a discipline. It's something that you have to do consistently and constantly. Right. And have you ever heard that phrase that it says it takes 21 days for something to become a habit? Absolutely. Absolutely. And 21 days, uh, you know, doesn't seem long unless you're doing a Daniel fast. <laughs> 21 <laughs> days doesn't seem long unless you're working out. 21 days doesn't seem long unless you're praying every day for an hour then, you know, it, it, it does, but you're right. It, and I think the key behind 21 days is just really to, to discipline yourself to do something consistently every day where it eventually has to get done, whether you feel like it. I just, I just came back from a, a meeting um, and I was trying to tell the group the same thing. I said, you know, it, it's, it's not that you can do something. Uh, it's, it's can you do it consistently? Right. I had, that talk, I had that talk with my son. I, I was trying to teach him a lesson, and I don't know if maybe when he gets older he'll appreciate that I that I'm a preacher. <laughs> uh, right now, he, he just kind of uh, he just kind of looks at it. So we were playing basketball at in, in Houston. We had a gymnasium there, and um, he likes to play basketball. So he was a lot younger, and so back in my day, I used to knew how to dribble and play. So I mm-hmm. I made a three pointer, and he was like, "Dad, you made a three pointer." I said, "Yes." And then I stopped. I said, "Give me the ball. Come here." And I said. Uh, his favorite player is uh, um, uh, Steph Curry. And I said, uh, why don't I make the amount of money that Steph Curry makes? And he looks at me like, well, what do you mean? I said, well, I just made a three-pointer. Isn't that, isn't that what he does? And he says, yes. And I says, well, why don't I make that money? And he says, I don't know. I said, because um, I can't do it all the time. And I think it was Craig Rochelle that says, leaders do consistently what others do occasionally. Wow. And, I think if you can do it consistently uh, instead of occasion, because a lot of people can do something one time, whether it's uh, preaching, whether it's get a good grade, whether it's have a good day, whether it's give a good lesson. But if you can do that consistently, I think that'll separate you from, uh, you know, the, the, the flock or the crop. Amen. That's such a great point. Consistency. And uh, to be able to keep up with that. And that that consistency, I believe with all my heart, God honors that consistency. Yes. He sees what you do. He sees the little. He sees the big. He honors the consistency in our lifestyle. And I think he honors it so much that, um, so I'm, I'm going to get into a little trouble here. But and <laughs> I think a lot of uh, believers today, we emphasize talent. And um, mm. uh, I don't really agree with that. Um, I think faithfulness trumps talent 
personally. Mm. Now, don't get me wrong. I love talent. I wish we had more talent. I, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of talents and gifts and all of that. But, you know, when at the end of the day, uh, when we get to heaven, the Lord's not going to tell us uh, thou good and talented servant. Wow. He's going to tell us thou good and faithful, faithful. servant. In other words, the, the crown of life is given to those who endure till the end. And I think we maybe somewhere have put more emphasis on talent because we see that immediately than faithfulness. But I'm a really strong uh, arbitrator of of um, faithfulness because you can teach someone to do something, but consistency, you, you know, it's a lot harder. And I would rather have consistency if I had to choose. I would rather have consistency over talent. That's just a personal opinion. Amen. Thank you for bringing that up. That is something that I do feel a lot of times there is a little bit more focus on that. But faithfulness, yes, it does trump over that talent. And like you mentioned, Jesus will say good and faithful servant. And so thank you for that. And so I want to move on to the next question, Pastor Omar. How do spiritual disciplines slash a lot of times even uh, Bible doctrine surpass personal conviction? So this is actually, I feel like, a little bit of a controversial topic. We talk about, I hear this phrase a lot of times, and you've probably heard it, um, that's just not my conviction. And so when it comes to that, how does that maybe integrate within being able to have these spiritual disciplines or what the word of God says, because, you know, although it is a controversial topic, I would love for this to be the space where it's answered because I would rather it to be answered in a spiritual lens than the world be the one answering it for us. And so this is definitely a conversation I hear a lot of times uh, with my generation. I think that's a very, very big question. And uh, I think it's so big that I'm, I'm, I'm not nervous about tackling it. I just need to come in to a general sense and then maybe go more specific. And what I mean by that, it it, it depends who who's listening to this question. So we'd have to define what do you define as a spiritual discipline? What is a biblical doctrine? Uh, you know, where are they in that level? Do they understand it? And so as I think of that, I think that one of the, I'm trying to avoid the word tragedy, but one of the downfalls that we are seeing is that we have a lot of believers that are not biblically literate. Yes. Um, and because of that, we tend to incline ourselves to form our doctrine and spiritual disciplines, not necessarily on the word of God. I think more people are persuaded to do something or not do something on the latest song. Uh, songs mm. are very powerful. And there's some people who will quote songs, but can't quote scriptures. And I mm. think because we don't know the word, uh, I think it's easier for us to have an opinion. And it's very difficult to have an opinion over something that we don't know. But because everybody's saying it, or if you don't read and I don't read, then you don't know and I don't know, and now it becomes a matter of opinion. But kind of tackling the the question, we really have to know what the Word of God says, and that's where I Amen. think it becomes 
hard because we don't we don't know his word. We know of his word, and I've preached this before. I think there's a lot of people that know of Jesus. I just think there's a lot of people that don't know Jesus. I think they know what he likes, but they don't know him. You know, I can read biographies of presidents and artists and movie stars, but that doesn't mean I know them. It just means I know of them. And I think that's something that we have not put enough emphasis on because being a believer is more than just Ah, Lord, forgive me. More than just coming to a location once a week or twice a week. You know, I've said this before, coming to church, and please, hopefully no one takes this out of context, you know, coming to church, let me say it this way because I have to be very specific. Coming to a physical location does not make you something. And Mm -hmm. let me say it a different way. Uh, Coming to church doesn't necessarily make you a believer. Just as much as standing in a garage does not make you a vehicle. So a believer is someone who has a relationship with, again, going back to relationship, because that's going to determine not the physical location, not how many songs you sing, not how much money you give, not how many um, ministries you're involved in is, do you have a relationship with God? And now that we talk about relationship, I love talking about relationships because people that say relationships don't change you has probably never had a serious relationship because any relationship will impact your life. You can't have a goldfish and it doesn't impact your finances, your time, because you got to buy it food. You got to clean the tank. You got to make sure it has what it needs. You can't keep it in the sun or whatever the case is. Any and every relationship. Only recently do we want a God or a church that works on my time. And I think that's, that's very, very dangerous. So if we live that way, and I'm using extremes, you know, for, for this question, but if we live that way, it's very difficult for us to identify spiritual disciplines and much more separate that from biblical doctrines and then to arbitrate which one is better and which one is less better. Amen. What a powerful way of putting that. And so when it comes to just being Bible literate, I believe 100% the word of God will trump over everything. If the word of God states it, then we stand on the infallible word of God. You know, I I mentioned this a a few months ago, Pastor Omar, that I believe, um, you know, a lot of times we can be just facing and living in a certain generation that uh, we're, we're very opinionated. We are. We're very opinionated people, but we have to step back and kind of zoom out of the picture and ask ourselves, are we being led by the word of God and by the Holy Ghost? Not our opinion, because the word of God and the spirit of God will trump over everything. And that that at the end of the day is what leads us to truth, not our opinion. And, and I think also, you know, I have a lot of compassion because wherever we are in our generation, whatever generation is present, whatever their attributes, whatever their strength and or their weaknesses are, I think a lot of it is shaped and molded by the times. So I I can't even, I don't blame any generation because a lot of it is because that's the fashion, that's that's the system of the world and that's what's being uh, uh, promoted and that's what's being displayed. And that's what, so when I say that, I just want to emphasize on the fact 
that if we're going to have a discussion on, on what is more important, then I think everybody has to know what we're dealing with, and which means that we have to read his word. Now, preaching and teaching and having a strong church to go to is just as important because I can misread it. I can take it out of context. I can be uh, very uh, bold in something that I may not understand. So, we not only have to read it, we have to interpret it, we have to teach it, we have to model it, we have to display it, and it, it, it has to be real. And that's the hardest part of it, because everything right now, sister, is competing for our time. Everything, right. every commercial, every ad, every phone, every restaurant, every everything is competing for our time. And that's one of the things I, I heard someone say, I would rather give you my money than give you my time because mm. I can make money, but I'll never have the same time. I'll, the time I, lo- I lose, excuse me, I'll never get back again. And I thought that's powerful because that's probably uh, one of the greatest resources that we have that is so valuable is our time. But everything right now is competing for it. And if we don't make time, see, this is what I want to challenge our young people here is that a lot of people say, well, I don't have time. You know, nobody has time. <laughs> Honestly, nobody has time. I, I tell our leaders, I said, everybody in this world has 24 hours. What we choose to do with it will differentiate us from other people. Everyone, the poor, the rich, the black, white, men, women, everybody has the same amount of time. It's what you put in priorities. It's what you uh, set aside. It's what you can get, uh, try to do with the time that you have will determine, you know, but the excuse of saying, I don't have time. It's a, it's a fallacy because everybody has the exact same amount of time. <laughs> Amen. My mom always used to tell me growing up, no one has time. You just have to make the time. All right. And so that's, that's what I grew up learning. And so I yeah. feel like that green, that brings up such a great point because it brings us back to that discipline. It brings us back to that habit. I believe that what you invest into is what you love. When you yes. love someone, you're going to invest the time to spend time with them. And it's the same thing with God. When oh, we yeah. love God and we love the things of God, we're going to make that investment. Even if we don't have time, we're going to have to make the time because where our time is, is a lot of times where our love is. And so that investment and those habits and spiritual disciplines all interconnect. Because t- our what time is one of our treasures, I think it's very appropriate to quote the scripture that says, where your treasures are, there also is your heart. Your heart. Because, mm-hmm. you know, time is very valuable, but that's one of our treasures. And so what we give to the Lord is, is just as important uh, because obviously— you know, we're giving him a part of time prayer in the in the middle of the night or in the morning or first thing or, you know, you know, cutting the Netflix series short so that you can make some time to pray, things like that. I think all of those sacrifices, I think the Lord sees and I think it's important for us to to do that. But then again, it goes back to sacrifice and relationship because your relationship with him will determine how we live, what we do, how we say and and. One more thing on relationship, it it does change you. I think it should change you. People who argue that relationship shouldn't change you, I don't know, maybe we've not have had a, a really good relationship. You know, I'm I'm married. We're gonna next year be married 25 years. Wow! And congrats. I'm, amen. <laughs> we're different. I'm different. I'm a different man than I was 25 years ago. My wife is a different woman than she was 25 years ago. Besides the natural changes of we're older, um, 
we because we interact with each other for 25 years uh i mentioned to this her last time she was 23 when she got married and uh and i told her you know that we've been together longer uh than you've been with your parents and i just kind of just a thought which was very interesting um kind of blew her mind a little bit uh, but we've been together longer than we were with our parents but the relationship affects you should affect you in a positive way and for those that are dating this is free we won't charge you but i think in dating um you want to make sure that your relationship uh, that you have a really really big microscope to look at it because there's so many things that you have to uh, view in it because uh it will affect you it'll either affect you positively or it'll affect you negatively. And that's why I think dating, which is not the topic, but that's, I think, is uh, is very important. You don't want to skip the dating part because you'll miss a lot of flags that, um, unfortunately, sometimes uh, we'll have to go through difficult times because we didn't catch them at the beginning. But that's another subject for another podcast. Amen. Thank you for the golden nuggets for you all <laughs> out there. All right. So uh, to our second to last question, Pastor Omar, we want to go ahead and ask you, what are some disciplines youth leaders should adhere to? Okay. Um, I think to not put one over the other, I'm going to be a little more general and broad to it. Uh, First of all, I'd like to address the youth leaders. So uh, John Maxwell, one of his laws, uh, he calls it the law of the lid which means that you can only go as high as your leader. So the leader is the lid of anybody they lead. So if you're a youth leader, uh, it's very difficult to cultivate young people or youth to be more spiritual than you are. So you're the standard. Uh, they can wow. only go as high as, as you go. Um, you, you can't run a church with someone who's more spiritual than you. If, if you're, if I'm the pastor, then I have to be the guy. I have to be the person. If I'm the youth leader, I have to be the standard. And, and leaders know that if you can find someone that can get close to the level of commitment and spirituality that you are, you found someone very special because most people, uh, they don't surpass you because that's your lid. Um, but if the spiritual, if the youth leader is not spiritual, and I and I took a minute to think about this. So if the youth leader is not spiritual, um, how do I say? Um, then they transmit their spiritual DNA. You know that. Wow. That's that's it. And I could give you scripture, but that's a whole lesson I'm trying to teach my church. Uh, because when when um, when uh, Peter and and John go to prayer, they they see the man that was paralyzed, and he says something very interesting, which is very common. I just hadn't seen it that way. He says, "Silver and gold have I not, but what I have." Mm-hmm. What, in other words, I can only give you what I have, and so in the name of Jesus, arise and wake up, and and you know walk. So I started just diving deep into that scripture and meditating. I said. That's so true because you can only give what you have. So if 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 I'm struggling with something, let, let's name it. Let's just say anger, the spirit of anger. Well, silver and gold have I not, but the spirit of anger I have. So I can only give what I have. So mm-hmm. the leaders really should strive to become spiritual because that's what they impart uh, if they're ministers, that's what we lay hands on, that, that that we give you what we have. And that kind of opens up kind of a little scary thing because 
you know, you you really need to know this is why you just don't really want just anybody laying hands on you because yes. They, they transmit what they have, and that's what I what I call the spiritual DNA, and I think that's why there's such should be, and is a very high standard, uh, especially in, in in ministry because um, we impact not only you know a, a, a couple of days, a month, a year, we impact eternity. Um, yeah, thank you, sister. Amen. What a powerful way of putting it. You know. You can only give people what you have. I've also heard it this way, Pastor Omar. You cannot lead people where you have not gone. Correct. And so if we are trying to lead our youth to, you know, a, a more prayerful life, a, a more a more spiritual discipline within the word, just a, a lifestyle of holiness, we have to be that exemplary example in order to be able to lead them there. And so not only can we transmit what we have and the power of transmitting that spiritual DNA the way that you worded it, but also leading people where we have gone. It's kind of like that trailblazer. The footsteps we have walked in, that's where we're going to be able to lead people because we have already walked that pathway. And, and we know this in leadership that that what you are passionate about is normally or most times where the Lord will lead you because you're familiar with it. Even even when God is getting ready to deliver the the Hebrews from from Egypt, He took Moses on a forty year uh, mapping expedition in the desert so that when He pulled. Um, the Hebrews, he knew exactly where he was. He was following the, the areas that he had been himself for 40 years. And I think as leaders, that's something that we have to be willing to trailblaze uh, before we can get people to follow us. Because uh, as we come back to tell them where we were, we should have the the scars of the thorns and the bushes mm. and the areas that we've been to. And I think we don't have to tell people. People will know. They, they see it in our lives. They see it in our testimony. They see it in our talk. They see it in, in everything that we do. And I think that's the beauty of it. The beauty is that, you know, when we serve the Lord, we don't have to even put it on, on social media <laughs> per se. Uh, people just know it. They sense it. They feel it. And I, I, I tell people all the time, I say, just because you have a non-believer in your church, don't think they don't have a spirit. They have a spirit. It may not yep. be awakened. It may not be tuned. It may not be acute. But this is why when you preach under the anointing or the spirit, something happens to them because they can, they may not know how to describe it. They may say stuff like, man, that was cool or that was amazing. But what really happened is, is that their spirit was awakened and touched. So they're spiritual beings. Um, they just don't know that God's trying to reach out to them. So I say that because you can't fool, you can't mask, you can't fool anointing. It's felt. It's, it's, right. it's felt. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And, and, and anointing, you know, is, is that direct empowerment by Christ to do what he's called you to do. And, and, and God will equip to any youth leader that's listening to this. God will equip you to where you need to go and, and, and the people that you need to lead. God does not fall short on that. So thank you for sharing that, Pastor Omar. And as we, uh, did you have something you wanted to add? No, I just, um, I think the anointing is so important. I, I, I'm going to do a little shameless plug. We just did a whole, uh, 
teaching on anointing on this Sunday. And uh, I got a lot of comments from our young people and some of the, the brothers because I was teaching more than preaching. And, and I was explaining to them the importance of having the anointing. The anointing, just in short, gives you the ability to do what you cannot do without the anointing. Right. It's, it's, so it's so powerful. But yeah, absolutely. Amen. Amen. And as we get to our last questions here, so uh, we want to ask for someone that struggles with spiritual disciplines, but wants to be better at implementing them into their Christian walk. What would you give them as a piece of advice? Mm, what I would what I would tell them is to start. So having in mind that they're familiar with disciplines, what they want, what it is, and so on and so forth. But once you have a handle on, on what they are, I think the hardest thing to do is, is where to start. And this, I'm taking this general because I think the hardest thing for anybody to do to write a book, to lose weight, to start a career, to go to college is to start. We, you know, I'll just give you this, this, this thought. So we all know we're harder on ourselves. Let me put it that way. We are harder on ourselves than anyone else. I think sometimes our greatest enemy is not the devil. I think it's us. Yeah. I think it's the person looking at the mirror because we can immediately disqualify ourselves from being used because we know everything about ourselves. And I think that's very difficult. One of the illustrations that I, that I share with people is um, when they're having the, the, the last supper, uh, Jesus asks the question and he says, one of you will betray me. And the most fascinating thing appears in the scriptures. The disciples started saying, is it I, Lord? And I didn't catch it at first. And I said, why would they say, is it I? I came to the conclusion that the only reason why the disciples would, would say, is it I, is if they knew something about themselves that Jesus had found out. Because wow. e e even us, I mean, we... Right now, I'm going to serve the Lord all of my life, but God knows tomorrow if something happens. You know, we don't want it to happen, but we don't know. Be, all we know is we're struggling with this or we're struggling with that. And I think when they asked the question, uh, they didn't even have enough confidence in, in them. So everybody was doubting themselves, which a lot of people do when they're trying or they're struggling with spiritual discipline. So my advice is just to start. Don't wait until you got everything. Don't wait until your life is better. Don't wait until you're 100%. Start now. Start small. You don't have to do big things, great things. You don't have to impress people. Uh, just start and start small. And my last thing is say, stay consistent. If you can stay consistent, which is something that we touched on earlier, I think that's going to pull you through because desires will get it started, but consistency will help you finish it. And mm -hmm. um, one last thing I'd like to add is, is um, I was listening to uh, Craig Rochelle leadership uh, podcast that he has. And, and if I remember correctly, he said something like little things matter. And I said, okay, well, yeah, I know that, you know, I'm listening and talking to myself, but then he said something that just so minute. And, and these are the little nuggets that I like to kind of, chew all night. He said, you know, people think that little things don't matter. And then he gave examples. He goes like exercising. He goes, you get on the treadmill, you, you get on it for an hour, you make a commitment that you want to do it. And then after a day, you don't see any results. And after three days, you don't see any results. And after a week, you don't see any results. And after three weeks, you don't see any results. And then you want to give up because you think little things don't matter. But little things <clears throat> have a big payout if done consistently 
over a long period of time. We give up too quick is what he was trying to let us know. Then he uses that same scenario and he says, people that are doing wrong, the same thing applies. If you cheat a little, if you lie a little, if mm. you steal a little, people say, well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, it was only a dollar. It was only one time I didn't give my tithe. It's only one time that I skipped church. It's only one time. But those little things consistently lead up to greater things. So I think for those that are struggling with spiritual discipline and want to do better, they have to stay focused. Commitment is hard. You know, we come in the mornings uh, to work, sometimes at 6.30, 7 o'clock, and I see these people, uh, some people that are jogging and, and running. It is freezing or it is raining or it is hot. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't want to be out there. And I don't think they want to be out there because of the weather. I think they've just developed a discipline right. where they're going to do it, rain or shine. And if we can apply that again to church, uh, you don't have to be the holiest thing. You don't have to be the most talented thing. But if, you, if you're consistent, one of the things that, that I live by and I share with my kids, and if you know me, you know I, one of my favorite scriptures is the following. If, if you're faithful in the little things, mm. you know, you don't have to do great things. Just do the little things, but do them well, uh, do them consistent, <laughs> do them faithfully. Because if you can do that, I promise you, God has no problem graduating you to the greater things because uh, consistency, again, it goes back to attitude. It is, can I be faithful in, in, you know, if you're faithful over 10 young people, I don't think God has a problem putting you over a hundred or over a thousand. If you're faithful on on ten dollars an hour, God has God is not going through an economical crisis. There's no inflation in heaven. You know mm-hmm. He owns the cattle of a, on a thousand hills. Um, he can bless you, but is it, can we be consistent and can we be faithful? And I think if you're struggling, um, you don't have to measure yourself to someone else, which is another idea that I was thinking about. A lot of times we measure ourselves and. This is where I tell people about the story of the of the talents and uh, something that just, I mean, I read that story hundreds of times. And the Bible says that he called his servants and he gave one five, he gave one two, he gave one one. And then he says something very small, kind of nonchalant. He says, each according to their capacity. And to me, I just stopped for a minute and it blew my mind because if you understand that scripture, you'll never be jealous or envious of other people's gifts, what they have, what God has given them, because God gives everybody according to their capacity. And if my capacity, that's why the the guy with two talents didn't get jealous over the guy that had five talents. The guy that had five talents didn't feel superior over the one that had two talents. And if you go a little deeper in the scriptures, you realize that both the five and the two got the same reward because they were able to produce the same percentage, not the talent, the same percentage. So the five reproduced a hundred percent. The two gave four reproduced a hundred percent. It's only those that have talents and gifts that bury it in flesh, which is what we are made out of the dust of the earth. So if you bury it and you don't produce anything, then you'll have a Jesus that comes by the fig tree and curse it 
because the fig tree had everything it needed to do the only thing it was created to do, and he didn't do it, and Jesus cursed it. So I think if you start, if you start now, if you start small and you be consistent, I think you're going to be on your way to doing great things for the Lord. Wow. Amen. What a great way to put it. Just start. Just start somewhere. And just to end, I I do want to mention this. I remember in one of my Bible college classes, one of our professors asked the class, when is the best time to plant a tree? And we all started shouting our answers. We're like, oh, during the summer, because during the winter, the branches aren't too cold to fall off during the fall. And we're just, you know, baffled trying to shout out our answers. And he keeps saying, no, no, you don't. You don't have the correct answer. And finally, he says, this is the answer. The best time to plant a tree is 10 years ago. In Mm. other words, yesterday. Mm -hmm. The best time to start was yesterday. So if you're doubting for any youth leader that's listening, any person that's listening to this, the best time to start is now. There's not a certain timing. There's not a certain, you know, uh, the heavens have to open for that calling to be proclaimed. It's, It's now. God has equipped you. God has called you. It's now. So just get started. So I'll take that and I'll, I'll, I'll add this to what you just said. There was an older man that was planting an apple tree and his neighbor uh, saw him and started mocking him. And he says, why are you planting an apple tree at your age? You'll never see the apples. You'll never get to taste the apples. And the old man turns around very wisely and very quietly. And he looks at him and he says, the apples are not for me. It's for my grandchildren. So the things that we do now, you think they don't matter, Mm. but it will affect your children, unborn or born, your grandchildren. I tell my church all the time, you being in church is so powerful because the decision you make to serve the Lord will literally change the destiny of your children, your grandchildren, and generations to come. So thank you for having me. Amen. Man, Pastor Omar, you just opened up a whole nother topic for another amazing episode. We might have to have part two with you next time. Amen. But thank you so much once again, Pastor Omar, for joining us, for taking the time to be with us. And to every listener, we pray this is a blessing and look forward to a new episode being released uh, every month. And other than that, thank you so much. Pastor Omar, any last final words that you want to share? I just want to encourage the young people not to give up, not to quit, not to give in, give out. Um, life is hard. And I mean, that's just life. Being old is hard. Being young is hard. Having money is hard, believe it or not. Not having money is hard. You know, being married is hard. Not being married is hard. I think we just have to come to the conclusion that life is hard. And once you accept that life is hard, uh, you have to make a decision that you're not going to let it uh, win. And so if you just stay consistent again, seek God. Now, to be successful Christian, I don't think it means that we never have problems. I think that we out way our victories uh, should be greater than our problems and our struggles Mm -hmm. because everyone will get discouraged one day or another. Uh, I think that's, that's normal. I think if you've never been discouraged, I think you would be weird. (laughs) I think every believer has been discouraged in one time in their life, but I think God is so awesome that he's not afraid of you not believing in him. I think God is so powerful that he says, even when you don't believe in me or don't think I can do it, I'm going to blow your mind. So hang in there and uh, we'll be praying for you as we always have and pray for us as well. 
Amen. Thank you for those last words of encouragement. God bless you all, and thank you so much for listening and tuning in.